Hello and welcome back. It's season two of the Suffolk Pod Show. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the show for free through your favourite podcast directory or from our website. The Suffolk Pod Show is brought to you by podtalk.co.uk. I'm Mark Mason. And I'm Susanna Hornby. Episode 41. And Jimmy Doherty is with us, owner of Jimmy's Farm and Wildlife Park. Jimmy is one of Britain's best known and loved farmers. TV star, wildlife expert, entomologist, conservationist and president of the Rare Breed Survival Trust. He's going to give us the latest news from the farm, tell us more about the important work the Trust does, tell us a bit more about his new TV show, Builds on Wheels, and talk to us about his lifelong passion for nature and the Suffolk countryside. Welcome, Jimmy. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, good to be here. <laughs> well, um, I've just been looking at your Instagram page, actually, and it's just full of new baby animals coming in onto the farm and into the wildlife park. Give us the latest update, would you, from the farm? Uh, well, it, it never ends in terms of uh, new life birth on the farm. Uh, what was just recently been? Oh, but we've just had uh, a couple of litters of saddlebacks, uh, mm-hmm. which have had uh, fantastic litters. We've had a ten and an eleven, um, and, and they are doing really well. Beautiful pedigree saddlebacks, and then we've had a lovely litter of middle white pigs. Um, and what else? A big birth. Oh, with lots of lots of cows being born, <laughs> uh, lots of calves. Um, and what else have we had that has been a big, well, big thing this year? Has been the birth of Suffolk's first tapir. Now this is quite some news, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's um, <laughs> it's been great uh, for, because the, the the we've got a, a species of tapir which is the Brazilian uh, lowland tapir, and all tapir species are. Uh, under threat um and uh particularly the malaysian species which is beautiful it's black and white but ours um mated last year and we've had the arrival of little tobias and they are <laughs> they are beautiful creatures and uh in their home in south america they, they have quite a big range but in the rainforest they're, they're um very very important in terms of distribution of seeds they eat lots of fruits um, and when they relieve themselves they do it in the water they do it in the river and of course then the seeds are dispersed through the river which then can grow into some fantastic trees a very important part of the cycle quite literally mm. absolutely absolutely and the tapirs live in our environment quite happily yeah they're, they're fine i mean they've got a lovely um big uh building to go into and separate quarters which are heated it's, uh, under floor heating so uh, they don't get chilly and then we have uh, a lovely little stream that they can swim in um and they're really un- they're really unusual creatures because they're sort of semi-aquatic and they're they have the same ancestor as, as horses, um, but they have this amazing sort of prehensile trunk, which they can use almost like a snorkel in the water. Um, and it, ma- it makes them look quite comical as well. They've got these great big long noses. <laughs> and they have personalities too. They do have personalities uh, and uh, they are incredibly friendly. Um, and uh, they, if you go in and start scratching them, they will they roll over. They like a they like a tickle. I mean, who doesn't like to tickle a tapir? They well, like quite. a good scratch. To, to coin a phrase, Jimmy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to talk to you particularly about your presidency for the Rare Breed Survival Trust. This is um, a very important organisation. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and your role within it? 
Yeah, it's coming up to its 50th anniversary being created. And it was created by Adam Henson's father uh, many, many years ago. And particularly because of the Gloucestershire old spot, Pig was becoming uh, close to becoming extinct. And a a group of like-minded people got together and said, we need to do something about this. We need to set up an organisation to protect our native rare breeds of domestic livestock Um, and it ranges from everything from chickens all the way up to horses Uh, and the purpose of it isn't just to preserve them for the sake of preserving them it's Mm. preserving them for their their genetic value because you never know what we need in the future and like other countries around the world these breeds of animals have been selectively bred over hundreds of years to perfectly suit different environments around the country mm. um and to and to lose them is losing a part of our food heritage um and you, you we can't afford to do that in this day and age and it, you think about all our works of art that we have and we put them in beautiful galleries and we have to preserve them for the future of the nation mm. well it's the same with uh, same with our domestic livestock breeds we need to preserve them and so the, the organization the Breed survival trust is its aim is to preserve uh, uh, all these fantastic breeds of domestic animal and preserve as much of their genetic pool as possible. Mm. And you have many of them on your farm. Uh, we do, mm. we do. And, uh, and and Suffolk is blessed with lots of other um, uh, wildlife parks and also of farm parks that um, support the, the trust as well. Um, so Eastern Farm Park, uh, Balaam Native uh, Rare Breeds Farm Park, um, endless uh, mm. organisations and private individuals mm. around the ca- county that uh, support them. And, and of course, um, you know, the Suffolk Punch as well, which is um, is very special to the county. Very, very. I didn't realise they were a rare breed, actually, I must say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And I, I think um, a- another breed that nearly went completely extinct. I mean, for, for, you know, since the mechanisation of agriculture, these beautiful heavy horses have... Mm. Um, fallen by the wayside and particularly after the first world war um where so many were sent over to fight uh, you know and 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 uh, support our our allied soldiers in mm. everything from carting supplies to ammunition you name it yeah um heavy guns all, all the rest of it and unfortunately most of the, the horses stayed in france and and, and met a, a pretty sorry end mm. but now that it's well what relevance do a lot of these horse breeds have and and now they're coming to uh, a whole new sphere of different uses and it's everything from you know pulling timber out of woodlands for coppicing um everything from conservation grazing so they, they really have a relevance mm. Mm. and apart from anything else they are absolutely beautiful creatures they are they're staggering and, and mm. fingers crossed we should have two foals born uh, early springtime so we are um yeah fingers crossed for that one now i saw that and i was thinking i wonder if they'd be born soon but of course the gestation of a of a suffolk punch is is how long it's about 12 12 months 12 months 12, okay 30, yeah. so it's, it's quite a long innings for quite, the mayor quite a long <laughs> quite a long wait quite a long wait <laughs> now your involvement with the rare breed survival trust um goes back at a little way but you're now the president how did that happen well it's do you know what I, I, my love of rare breeds goes back to when i was about i remember first about about 12 13 mm-hmm. and it was watching watching a ryland you give birth to a, a, a beautiful little lamb called mm. buttons and i remember that it was in stanton mount fiction it was owned <laughs> by one of my friend's dads and he had dexter cattle and gloucester cattle and i used to read the arc magazine that he, he used to get who's a member of the trust and, and so i'd always i've always been 
uh, fascinated by our breeds. But I got a phone call. I got no, I just got a letter actually um, from Gail Spriggs, who is uh, the chair of the trustees, mm-hmm. um, inquiring if I'd be interested in in the, the being become president. And mm-hmm. I was a bit a bit taken back. I was like, wow, <laughs> um, and ab- absolutely. And that was five odd years ago. So I think I've been the longest serving president, um, which has been remarkable. And of course, our patron is uh, HRH, the, the, the Prince of Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spoken to him on many occasions about, I spoke to him t- uh, two, three days ago about large black pigs, actually. And he, <laughs> he is a, he's a massive advocate for our traditional breeds of livestock. Mm. And, and, is, and actually has been, has been a massive support, um, to the trust as well. Mm. And I, I think, you know, very much his message, and I'm sure the message of the trust is, is obviously educating people, but also securing the future, as you've just mentioned, um, of our rare breeds. And it's very important to connect with so many different groups of people, particularly young people who I understand you get involved with a lot. They can come to the farm and they can learn directly with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a bit of a cliche to say, but it, obviously they are the future. And I think there's a various projects I'm involved with. And actually, uh, the, um, in terms of in Suffolk itself, we have lots of school visits and lots of young people come to the farm. And what we try to do there is show kids and show young people that agriculture and conservation can go hand in hand um, and about sustainable farming methods mm. and about having a better appreciation of the natural world. And I think children have that in them. They have mm. that already in them. And mm. we we seem to lose it as we get older. So what we try to do is create a space where families can come together and just do simple stuff. So we have, you know, come and do a bit of fishing with mm. Dolly um, or go into the woods and build some dens. Because, you know, a, a lot of us that live in urban areas, when do you ever get to go into a wood and build a den? You know, we everything is fairly... Um, I, I suppose uh, everything is fairly controlled. Mm. We have areas to play on the park, or if you're on, if you go on private land, you often get told to sling your hook or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But to be able to go out and actually build a big old den, and some of these dens, I, I looked at one the other day. It's, it's about three, it's about three or four stories. Oh, it's, it's professional <laughs> dens. <laughs> we have to take we have to take every week. We have to take them down, but it, it just shows you how popular yeah. the idea of something simple like yeah. den building is. And that, yeah. and I I think get, getting young people involved with growing food, um, agriculture in particular, but grow, growing food and, and, and seeing agriculture as an as a, uh, avenue for a career is really important. Mm, very much so. And like you say, it's, an in, it's built in, it's innate in kids. And, and that's, that's the trick, isn't it, to catch them right at that stage so they rem, it remains part of their psyche for the rest of their lives. Gosh, let's hope that yeah. works because <laughs> it's so completely. important. But you were a child when you fell in love with nature. You've had it around you for all of your life. How did... How did all this evolve, Jimmy, if you don't mind me asking? Um, well, I've always been fascinated by um, the natural world. And I remember just when the cat, when I was a kid, the cat used to bring mice home and stuff like that. And I'd be fascinated by them. Um, but I think when I was about, what was I? I, th- I was about eight or nine. And I got a, uh, I got a friend called uh, Ian Redmall in the village of Clavering, where, where we lived, mm-hmm. and we started we started washing cars around the village. Um, and I think it was like one pound fifty to wash a car and an extra pound to wax it. Mm. But we'd only wax. <laughs> We only waxed half the car, the, the half the car that faced the house. So, so you're going, oh, right. And then the money I saved up, I bought an aquarium. I bought, an, I bought a two-foot aquarium off of Ian's brother, Kevin. Mm-hmm. And 
it had full complement of fish and everything. And I set that up. And, and for me, that was like a living soap opera. I was just, just engrossed in keeping these tropical fish. And then that led on to a whole array of different animals from ferrets, terrapins. I had uh, I t- converted my dad's garage into a reptile room. I, t- I converted the uh, carport into an aviary. I remember coming home from school on the bus and I, I wasn't very good at building the stuff. I was good. I, I, I used to put it up too quickly and, and not really think about the details. But I remember all my budgies got out and I got off the school bus and all of my budgies were in this tree across the river. Um, and oh. it, st- it started to rain heavily. So luckily, they all took cover in this tree. Mm. So I climbed up the tree in, in my school uniform and I was just catching, <laughs> catching bu- budgies and stuffing them <laughs> in my pocket. Um, but I, I was obsessed with animals. And then I, so that, that led me into uh, you know, finding out more about them and, and mm. reading more about them. And I started then keeping chickens and I used to read all the david attenborough books and and also also all the books by john seymour the you know complete guide to self-sufficiency and and mm. gerald durrell's gerald durrell's amateur naturalist and and yeah so it was a very early age really mm. and that just um transcended through throughout the years until you became of an age where you thought i actually want to do this for a living well i did i i mean I, there was two options for me and i was i was obsessed with the military and I was obsessed with the natural world. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember writing down, and I, I wrote down zoology, or I wrote down uh, the Royal Marines, and I really right. wanted to be an officer, officer in the Royal Marines. Mm. So when I finished uh, my final year at school, I, I was, uh, so when I turned 18, I joined the ter- uh, Territorial Army mm-hmm. to see if that was for me. And, and that was in Cherry Hinton in Cambridge in the Royal Signals. And I stayed, I stayed there for about five years. But I, for me, the, the military career was taken over still by my love of the natural world. And, and I, I, I read for a degree in zoology and went mm-hmm. on to read for a, a, a PhD in entomology. Mm-hmm. And, and the fascination for particularly insects to, to really mm-hmm. took over. Yeah. Uh, um, and I suppose I, the, that, that was the end of the military career. Probably also the... the the colour green makes me look a bit washed out. I probably wouldn't be very good in uniform anyway. <laughs> well, you're, you're, yeah, I'm sort of seeing the likeness of about of camouflage, and I think that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> so, fully qualified, stepping out into the world. How how on earth did you step? Did you take it from hobby to where you are now? Well, I didn't want it to be a hobby. You mm. see, that was the that was the whole point. I remember being in a laboratory in Coventry uh, University, yeah. and I was I was. Uh, I was counting and identifying flies, which sounds like a really tricky thing to do because you imagine them all flying around, but they're all preserved. <laughs> and I was I was looking at the I was looking at the veins on on the wings, and and depending on the veination where numbers of veins are, you can work out uh, which species of fly, which family of flies uh, yeah. you're looking at. And I'm t- I'm I'm talking about tiny, tiny little things like sesamides and little tiny little um, fungus gnats and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then and then. The, the terrible news of September 11th, 11th happened, mm. and I, I I just thought, oh, you know, that, that could happen anywhere. Or, or what happens if you didn't live your dream and do the things you live mm. live with regret? And and so I thought, well, actually, academia in a way had turned all the colour and vibrance of nature. When I was a little kid catching butterflies, turned it into sort of statistics, really, and mm. um, and testing theories and looking at calendula in and petri dishes and i wanted to get back to that you know hands into the soil and the vibrance of nature Mm. and the whole the whole you know keeping chickens growing food and bits and bobs 
was going to be a hobby. And I thought, well, actually, I'd rather do it as a career. So if, if I'm going to do it, I'd rather do it and fail than never do it at all. Mm. So I, I didn't have the, the welfare. Uh, you know, I wasn't inheriting a farm or my, my parents weren't farmers. So the best avenue into it was to rent land. And, and renting land was very affordable and a, a really easy way to get, get into it. And, and then pigs, for me, suited it really well because I didn't have to have prime grazing land. I didn't mm. have to, you know, I wasn't going into arable farming. I didn't mm. have to have that you know, huge uh, expense on equipment and things like that. So I could start off with a few pigs. And at the same time, the farmer's market scene was really kicking off. And so I had I started with the market first and worked backwards. I, I went around lots of farmers markets and and top end food shows and had a look at who's doing what mm-hmm. and where the where the market could t- take me. And for for me, the pig was the perfect animal because one, I could use traditional breeds of livestock, and two, the pig has a, a number of babies. So it has a large litter. So we've just had a litter of ten, but yeah. commercial pigs have a lot more than that. But so a litter of 10, where a cow will have a calf, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, and then you can raise the pigs within six months, I'd have something ready for market, plus the products. So w- with beef, it tends to be beef, mm. or you can make a beef sausage. But with pork, you've got fresh pork, um, you've got hams, you've got bacon, you've got sausages, um, you've got gammon, so you've got multiple products. So it, it really lent itself to that. And mm. I remember getting the, the first bit of electric fences up, um, and getting the pigs there. And I had a number of pigs that are ready for breeding, number of pigs ready for slaughter. And the first thing I created on the farm was a, a, a little mini butchery. And I had an old van so I could process and get straight to market ASAP, which is what I did. Yeah. You butchered yourself? Yeah, I did a lot of the curing of the bacon. And then yeah. I had a, a butcher come and help. And then I would do about four or five markets a week, um, and that went up to seven markets a week. When a friend of mine came and helped, Asa, who's from Bury St Edmunds, mm-hmm. he, he he was an ex Royal Marine actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he, and, and we used to yeah do lots of markets. So it'd be feeding the pigs in the morning, off to market, uh, come back, cure the bacon, pack up, ready for the next market mm-hmm. or whatever else we needed to do at the time. And this went on for some time, and at some point, um, what happened next? Did, did you? I think did you meet your wife? Did you? Um, Start a family. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, no, I met, I met my wife, wife fairly early on, and mm. uh, I, I'd been visiting a pig farm in Cumbria, uh, a chap that I met at Borough Market, and and uh, my wife was, uh, she was in uh, TV at the time, and mm-hmm. she was there filming a documentary, and we met there, and then we met again in London, and I thought, oh, I can't let her disappear. I'm gonna have to try and <laughs> get her number, so I phoned her up and left a message on the phone. And uh, and I t- our first date was on. We were, I took it to London Aquarium because I could talk about fish. You see, yeah, and it was fairly, her. fairly, yeah, fairly, <laughs> fairly dark in there. So if I said anything stupid, she wouldn't see me go red. Um, and I remember um, I had a bit of foil in my pocket, and I, I, we walked up to a, a species of fish called the archer fish, mm-hmm. and I started f- flicking this bit of foil near the tank, and I knew the fish would start spitting at it. And as it did, because in the wild, they would do that to knock um, uh, insects off of branches and then they eat them. And she thought I was some sort of fish whisperer. <laughs> she, was really, she was really impressed by this. And then she came on another date. But anyway, I convinced her to, to come to the farm when I was starting. And she fell in love with it yeah. so much. She she agreed to sort of move in. And, yeah. and, and um, she was integral to st- starting the whole thing, really, uh, because... I, she would go to a market or I would go to a market or she would stay back and mm. help pack sausages and all the rest of it. Mm. Wonderful. I, I mean, that that is um, just fantastic to be able to work with your partner 
and to to develop and to build and you guys have created a massive well i can only describe it as an animal kingdom or um <laughs> empire of some sort <laughs> now t- you mentioned tv there of course you are now um on the tv screen quite often we see you quite a bit have you just finished filming for builds on wheels or is that still ongoing uh, we have just finished and mm. I've got a few more days to do some voiceover. Um, uh-huh. And I have, uh, we're also filming at the time, at this time, uh, it is Food Unwrapped as well. So there's always something going on. But Bills on Wheels has been a really exciting project. Yeah. And that was for uh, Quest and also for Discovery Plus. Right, okay. Um, and it's it's been a fascinating show. Mm. And he's your friend, is he, Jimmy DeVille? So Jimmy Deville is I we yeah I've I've known him for about five years and right. we we have the the same agent as well and he's he's often come along to our festivals when we've run the festivals and stuff and he is a, a very interesting character Jimmy Deville mm-hmm. um, he he was in the Royal Engineers and he's he's worked on various different military vehicles and and uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq and. Been all sorts of interesting stories, and he's driven across the uh, Sahara on a motorbike. And but mm-hmm. his big lo- love is is um, just changing vehicles and 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 pimping them up, and doing all sorts of amazing stuff. <laughs> um, and he was the perfect guy to get involved in this project. Mm. For the sake of people listening, can you just describe just very quickly what the show is about and what you guys get up to? So okay, so this show is really really born out of. Um, this huge, um, uh, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's not, you wouldn't call it a club, but it's, it's, it's almost like a movement uh, where so many people are buying vehicles up to renovate into bespoke camper vans. Mm-hmm. So the camper van scene is, is really taken off through the whole staycation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, see, you see those generic white camper vans and they're very, very popular and they really s- serve, a, serve a purpose. And, and it gives people freedom. They can just jump in, drive off, have a weekend away, come back, parked outside your house. It's, it's that ultimate escape vehicle. But this is something slightly different. Now, and I didn't realise... There are so many people out there doing this. And people are buying old vintage vehicles. They're buying horse boxes. Uh, you name it, anything with wheels, mm. buses, um, whatever. And they're doing them up as for their ideal camper vans. You, can, you can't buy a van at the moment for love of the money. No. Um, and so this show is really exploring that um so we go out on and, I, and we and we, vi- uh, we visit you know fantastic vehicles that you can have a weekend away on uh, as, as an inspiration to my own build and i i've i bought a, a vintage uh, fire engine and a military fire engine so it's a, it's a goddess green goddess in fact this one was yellow because it's from northern ireland um and so we've renovated that into a camper van at the same time i've been visiting about eight couples that are all embarking on the same adventure um of buying up various vehicles and doing them up it, it's been it's been fascinating and mm. I, uh, I and it just shows you how crazy people are because <laughs> having a, a roll top bath in a bus uh or you know like converting a horse box <laughs> oh yes yeah, it's, it's amazing um and it's all different couples you know there's there's business partners there's husband and wife team mm-hmm. they're a young couple in suffolk that it's basically their first home together there's another couple that have just sold their house to put into this and some people are just doing it as an escape for the weekend yeah. some people are doing it as as a relief to mental health problems or others are going to go and travel the world yeah absolutely fascinating and fun too and so 
Um, it sounds rather emotional too, actually creating a new home um, from from something that's old and, and reused and whatever. I can't wait to see it. When does it air? Do you know? So it should be uh, September the 28th. Okay, fantastic. Right, we'll tune in. Discovery Plus, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, Discovery Plus, or I think you can get it on Quest as well. But I think if you if you have Sky, um, I think you can get the Discovery Plus app on Sky anyway. Right, okay, super. This time last year, you were filming Autumn at Jimmy's Farm. Is that something that you were going to look at again? Or is that, was that a one-off? Because it was. So oh, well, we did, it's interesting because <laughs> Ch- Channel 4 basically phoned me up because when lockdown happened... So many of their regular shows, including stuff like uh, Food Unwrapped or Friday Night mm-hmm. Feast, just had to had to stop because you couldn't do it. So they, what do we do for original content? And 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 people might have seen there were lots of repeats on TV at that time. Mm. Um, but they said, well, could you, could you do something for us? Could we follow what's happening at your place over lockdown? And yeah. we said, well, yeah, we couldn't. And because it's an it's an isolated site, we were totally void of the general public. The mm. film crew could camp out in the uh in the car park everyone had tests so they knew everyone was fine and then we could put a uh, chef on and feed them all so we're mm. totally so it was like having a little what well, our own filming bubble yeah um uh, but it was interesting it was it was fascinating because it was it was a, it was a time where we were close to the public um it was a worrying time um but also it was a time of strange liberation because we could actually get on and and do stuff mm. that we couldn't normally do so we could get diggers in and build yeah, stuff and and I did I did really enjoy it I did really enjoy it if it'll come back I'm I'm not sure um because I think normal business is resumed in the TV world um yeah. but uh, you never you never say never no it was wonderful and it was just, it just of life goes on and it gave people I think just spirit a lot of hope and that wonderful sort of feeling that you know it it's all still there and it will all be there when, well, when it ends I, I, I think i think there was an interesting there was a time where you know we we're all locked in our houses and yeah. and if you, if you couldn't get out to do some exercise or whatever it was it was tough so i think i got a lot of emails saying oh, this is just a bit of normality mm. you know it, it wasn't a show that was filmed on a phone it was a bit of normality you could see a bit of the natural world and i think mm. one one uh, well if you could get any uh, positives out of covid is that the reconnection with community but also the reconnection with the natural world yeah. and hopefully hopefully that will remain no it's wonderful what about um, mr oliver are you still um have you got any plans for any future fun and excitements with him <laughs> there's always there's always plans there's always plans it's just, it's just getting when our our diaries collide at the right time is, mm. is the thing and also uh, the other problem we both suffer from is having too many children. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that keeps you quite busy. But but absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I was you know I was uh, I was chatting to him the other day about various bits and bobs and different mm. ideas. But it's um it's uh, it, it would be fun. Can we go back to the wildlife park now? Because I don't think yes. we've had enough of it. Um, and you, I just want you to talk a little bit more about some of the very unusual animals that you've got there. Um, and also how people can get more involved with them in respect. Because I was reading about you can actually sponsor some of your that anteater. Your anteater is fabulous. He was having a bath the other day. Was I watching that? Was yeah, that real? Yeah, but it's, yeah, it was. And it's, it's, it's interesting because... We really try to create an area that uh, the animals have space and and, and, mm. and different things going on in their enclosures. And um, and Basil in particular, he's <laughs> he's a, he's a funny old chap because um, he he's, he's his little house. He's got this little house, and he has to have two compartments. So 
if he gets a bit shy, he can, he can move out the way and get out of people's way. And mm-hmm. uh, and and often you'll see him pa- pacing around, and he's he's always sniffing for various bits and bobs. And he doesn't like it when it's too wet or too damp. But when he comes out, he's got his own little private garden area. Mm-hmm. Then he comes out of a tunnel into uh, a, a, another garden area where there's lots of toys. We often put plastic bottles in there that we have mealworms in, so he can poke his tongue in and there's a ball in there that has mealworms in and and that's a lovely layer then he's got another compartment he goes into a little hatch he goes through and it opens up into the woodland Mm -hmm. uh which you can then watch him peeling bark back and using his amazing tongue so basil is fascinating and and we put a little bath in because for him because what people don't realize is that they're very good swimmers anteaters and he he likes getting in a bath so we put this sort of um kid sand pit in filled up with water and he has a good old a good old swim but incredible creature but we do have experiences so we let people get up and close under supervision and and, and people often buying presents and all sorts of stuff of course of course but um he is he's a fascinating <laughs> one i think the thing that i love about some of these animals the the unusual <laughs> unusual niches that they they inhabit in the wild you know mm. he's a he specializes in eating ants and termites and it, the equipment he has to do that with his very long rasping tongue mm. um and his powerful claws um, and then he's counterbalanced by this long bushy tail that doubles up as a as a, almost like a duvet at night. He's one of my favourites. I think the, the, some some of the others uh, can tell. Yeah, by his it's, not um, only that, but by his luxury accommodation as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He, he has it. He has it all right. And then we've recently taken on. We work with a uh, an organisation called AAP, which is a um, a great um, rescue centre based in Spain and also Holland. Mm-hmm. And what these guys do is they go around to um, disuse zoos or they rescue private animals or often from circuses. And mm. and they they have uh, big cats like tigers and pumas and lynx and they have lions and the chimpanzees and lots mm. of monkeys that have been rescued. And uh, we we built a, a, a brand new enclosure um, for a group of rescue monkeys, uh, Barbary macaques, mm. which are the which are the the monkeys that you see in Gibraltar, and two of these girls were ex lab monkeys, and one was a, a, a ex beach monkey lived in a tiny cage, and um, we were privileged enough to be able to offer them a a, a forever home, mm. and the, the best thing about it is that we used upcycle containers um, from the docks here from. Uh, from MSC who donated these amazing containers, which we, which really harks to sort of, you know, a part of Suffolk, mm. but, but also we've, we've turned them into fantastic bedrooms and kitchens for them. And then it's the first time that these monkeys don't have a cage over their head yeah. and they can climb up into the trees. Yeah. And Adeo, the, he's, he's a bit cheeky old Adeo, the, the, the male monkey, he will throw stuff at me when he sees me, he always throws he throw one of the dog toys at me. Um, or he, he, he puts his, he often pinches my brother's bum when he's there <laughs> doing some maintenance. Or, he, or even Stan, the electrician, he always unplugs his plugs when he's pl- does he? turning lights off. But yeah, but one thing he does love doing, he climbs to the top of the tree and yeah. he's fascinated by the train. So he watches the, the Norwich to London uh, train go past. He loves that. <laughs> so if you're on that route, if you're getting on the Ipswich and going to Liverpool Street, give him a wave. Yeah. That's a normal a sight to back. see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was his name? 
Adeo. Adeo. So the, the, the monkey is one of my favourites. Um, <laughs> and then the, the other exotics that I really love. I mean, well, I, you can't really choose a favourite. I love the kookaburras. I, like, I love the crocs. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the butterflies we have. Or, you know, there's, it's hard to pick a favourite, yeah. really. Yeah. No, no, I'm absolutely, I can, I can imagine. How could you? How could you? It's like picking a favourite <laughs> child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, now that butterflies, you mentioned them, and that must be something that... Um, it's exciting because haven't you got a new butterfly house? Is it open yet? Well, we're having our butterfly house recovered because right. when we didn't run it through the summer because the legislation kept changing where indoor attractions, uh, you couldn't open the indoor exhibits, then you could, then you couldn't. And yeah, so we we decided not to open it and we're going to have it recovered uh, yeah. and give it a little bit of a facelift. So that should be open again in spring. But yeah. The butterflies are always a massive fascination for me. When I when I was thirteen, I got a job in a wildlife park uh, called Molehall Wildlife Park. Mm-hmm. One pound thirteen an hour I was paid. I remember, and I was thirteen, and I absolutely loved it. And when I, it's it, unfortunately it, it's no longer there anymore. It's the village of Whittington, just outside Newport in Essex. Mm-hmm. But when I walked through the doors in this heady, humid environment mm-hmm. uh, that was full of exotic flowers and and vibrant butterflies from all over the world i was uh, you know i was captivated by mm. that and, and that's one of the reasons I, I really got into studying insects but butterflies are fascinating creatures in their own right but what they're really important uh, are indicator species so um you know if our butterflies are doing badly then our environment as a whole is mm. doing badly mm. um and and that's the, that's the same case with our all pollinated insects particularly with our bumblebees as well which i've i've been heavily in, involved with uh, mm. uh recent year but um but yeah the butterflies will be open again in spring but it's it's lovely because it it, you know, if you're there in sort of Easter onwards and it's 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 cold and wet outside mm. and mm. then you can go in and be transported to the Amazon or the rainforest yeah. of Southeast Asia for, for a little bit, you know. Yeah. I can imagine. It really is like that too, going into one of those. It is absolutely, well, you're, as you just said, you're transported to another world, a tropical world. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, and, absolutely. I, yeah, and I think with, with all the restrictions, no one going on holiday, you can have a holiday for five minutes. You know what I mean? It's one yeah. of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up for that. Now, um, you may, uh, just one more thing about the butterflies, and you said that they're an indicator species. And I think there was this great thing going around about a butterfly count app um, during the summer months. I don't know if you picked up on that. But how is the species doing in well, the, Suffolk many, and in Britain? There's there's many species of butterfly, but and but they they it's they're having a tough time of it. So you've got fairly. Widespread generalist butterflies, mm-hmm. like if you looked at things like the peacock and the cabbage white and the tortoiseshell, um, you know, their numbers fluctuate, but they're not doing so badly. But yeah. it's often the more specialist localized species, like things like the Heath Vitillary or the Essex Skipper and things like this, that um, or Camberwell Beauty, uh, uh, Silver Fertility, all these kind of things that. Yeah. You know, the ones you don't have to see really need a helping hand. And of course, you know, we've got, we've got a very small population of swallowtail butterflies in the Norfolk Broads, mm. um, which is, is only one very sort of isolated site. So they're not doing brilliantly. And our moth species aren't doing brilliantly either. And, and, and what you've got to think about is that, you know, these butterflies, they're beautiful to watch and, and look at, but they are really also the the the, the building blocks of mm. the food chain that other species rely on yeah. everything from other insects all the way up to uh, birds and mammals mm. um but but you know we have some great sites in in suffer and i i think you know with 
people being more environmentally environmentally minded, mm. um, you know, hopefully we can secure their future. And if anyone wants to help, I mean, you don't have to have a nature reserve. If you want to help insects, you want to help bees, and if you want to help butterflies, grow flowers yeah. in your garden. Simple uh, as that. Things, thing, things like budley. Let a bit of your garden go a bit wild. You yeah. know, um, so that's what's really important. And. I've always had this conversation with people and I know it might sound a little bit silly, but how do you handle a butterfly when it's in your house? Can you, because I've heard you're not really meant to touch them. Well, the, the whole thing is, is that you, you remove the scales from their wings and that won't actually right. really kill, that won't really kill the butterfly. Right. Um, what happens is when a butterfly hatches out of its, uh, of its pupa, then uh, its wings are very soft. They pump them up and then uh, they set, you know, they become very rigid. Mm. As the butterfly gets older, their wings get quite tatty. Mm. So if you're going to pick a butterfly up, just cup it, you know, with both hands. I mean, when I pick butterflies up, I often wait for their wings to close, and I I will very gently grasp both sets of wings, because the butterfly has two sets of wings, Mm. okay? So it has four individual wings. So I grasp them both together very gently, lift them out, and Mm. and release them. Um, But you can cup them with your hand. That that tends to be fine, really. But the the whole thing of losing their scales, they lose their pretty patterns, but you won't actually kill them. No. Well, that's good to know. And they don't bite either, so people should know that. No, they don't bite. They've got a a proboscis, so they're they're not going to bite you. (laughs) I'll pretend to understand what that word means, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) A long tube. Okay. (laughs) All right. Back to your incredible farm, wildlife park, everything that you have. Um, It really is, um, what should I call it, a unique natural destination. There's not just that going on. There's lots of other things. You can actually stay at your premises. Uh, yeah, we've we've had uh, a a bell tent company running some glamping this year, mm-hmm. um, but you know, on the, uh, we we would love to have some permanent accommodation at the farm. So we've had some temporary uh, glamping, which has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully next year, if all goes well, we 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 plan to try and put some nice permanent accommodation mm-hmm. for people to come and visit, which um, I, I'm you know very excited about, and uh, because mm-hmm. I think. You know the the whole area of Suffolk is is wonderful, and it it doesn't get the tourists it deserves, in my opinion. Because in in, in one hand, people go, "Oh yeah, but it's our little secret." Yeah. But also, I think you know we need to share it a bit more because you go to the West Country and everyone raves about Devon and Cornwall or Dorset and all that. Or oh, I, I went on holiday in Wales, which yeah. is brilliant. And I think we've got, uh, you know, one of Britain's best kept secrets in Suffolk. Mm. And I would like to attract more tourists here because I think the, the more tourists we get, the, the more revenue we have for our uh, tourist attractions, local towns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very important. Mm. No, it certainly is. It seem, They seem to just drive straight through us up to Norfolk. I always think that. Now, events I've got here. The Big Beef Night. That's yes. something you are actually presenting yourself. Yeah, so we've 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 done this for a couple of years now, and we yeah. started with one one event, and 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 the premise of it is that basically we put a a whole side of beef up, and it hangs from the rafters, and I, uh, there's a whole banquet around it, and then we basically do a butchery demonstration and talk about uh, beef production and uh, the benefits of grass fed meat. And actually, uh, beef isn't the the ogre that everyone makes it out to be. And and, and my stand is that, you know, that we're eating far too much of everything. Um, uh, but let's not demonize one thing and say it's all down to beef production. Because basically, if we're doing that, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. Um, and you, you can't do that. So it's all about celebration of British beef. And 
particularly our traditional breeds. Um, we have a lot of fun. And we did this one night and it sold out. And so we extended it to two nights. And then we did four. And then we did – so we did, we've got a couple of nights in November. I think they might have already been sold out. And okay. we're looking at doing some more in February. Um, and it's, it's good fun. And yeah. we, you know, it, it, there's always, there's always, there's a lot of laughter goes on. And then, you know, people come up, they ask questions. We auction off uh, a lot of the cuts for the Rareberry Survival Trust. Um, it's a, it's a real giggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a tasting experience as well, I'm assuming. Oh yeah. There's a yeah. whole menu. There's, there's a, a whole yeah, menu. Yeah, yeah, there, there's okay. a, there's a, there's a, there's multiple courses that are, uh, uh, that are delivered, um, and you, and and we try because when the first little course comes out, it's it's often like a a glass of bull shot or like a little a consomme or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's like a bit of, uh, but to and each each disc each dish tells a story. Yeah. But often the first first dish is quite small. People go, oh god, is this? And believe you me, when they get into the third or fourth, they're like, oh, is, is this going to stop? <laughs> And I'm assuming there's a nice glass of wine to be had with that. So, oh yeah, there's, there's yeah. also and, and some and some great beer. We often showcase local beers. We, in the past, we've had Ad, Adams there yeah. and and some of their their master brewers mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. pairings and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it's good, and people can have a, come up and have a go as well under mm-hmm. supervision. Do try the hand of a butchery. <laughs> Jimmy, I think I could talk to you for a lot longer, but we haven't got that much more time. So I just wanted to ask about your team, all the people that you mentioned Dolly earlier, but all of your team, what an incredible group of people you must have around you. Yeah, we we have uh, a, a, a great team. We're lucky to have some fantastic people come and work for us. And, mm. and that's that is that's the making of the business, really, is the is the people. And I, and I think that you know, it's going all those years back. Uh, my wife is absolutely integral to the business, and um, you'll often see her there. And she'll be working from right from the the finance and uh, logistics all the way to, you know, helping empty the bins, mm-hmm. serving in the restaurant. And that is the ethos of the business that everyone mucks in. Um, and you could be, you know, the, the the finance manager, or you could be the wildlife park manager. But at the same time, you better be quite good at helping scoop the ice cream, or you know, um, litter picking. <laughs> and everyone, everyone has to get involved. Yeah. <laughs> and you have lots of rangers. And do you have a vet on on site as well? You must. Uh, we we have we have a, we have uh, local vets come in, right. and they mm-hmm. it's it's uh, Stove Vet Group, and they've been brilliant, and and we work very closely with them because uh they get to work with animals that they're not used to working with yeah. uh, particularly if you have trainee vets as well or, or veterinary nurses so mm. most of their time it's either uh livestock if it's the big animal stuff if it's it, pigs and cows uh, or it, it's people's pets dogs yeah. cats and hamsters and whatnot but often they can come in and they'll be scanning uh, a monkey or it could be looking at the capybara or it could be scanning the tapir for pregnancy which they've never done before and it's mm. like this is a great opportunity so we we, yeah. we have a lot we have a lot of fun yeah no i bet you do i really bet you do well i just want to say to everyone jimmy's farm is in suffolk go and see go and find on the website there is so much to do there is so many exciting things to see and so much to get involved with jimmy thank you very very much for being with us it's been a real pleasure to talk to you oh it's been wonderful thanks very much for having me i know you're busy so thank you everyone. no worries take care thank you jimmy
Thanks for listening to the Suffolk Pod Show. Find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or you can visit our website, podtalk.co.uk. And here's our disclaimer. The Suffolk Pod Show will not be held responsible for any omissions or errors in its podcast. The Suffolk Pod Show is produced purely for entertainment purposes. Views and opinions are that of our own or that of our guests. <laughs>